It's good to see you all. It really is. I was trying to come around earlier and connect with you, and I pray that, um, that you're blessed. I, uh, this morning it feels uh, like an important topic. It just does. And it feels like something that is weighty, um, and it feels like something, maybe it's because it's like incredibly relevant for me. And uh, there will be no doubt times in this sermon where I'll have to pause because God's like, are you listening to yourself right now? We're talking about drifting a little bit. And uh, I, I talk about this issue of drift often with a lot of, I, I get opportunities to speak into younger people's lives and younger pastors' lives. And I, get, I talk a lot around drifting and uh, this idea that we do not drift into ships and boats don't drift into port. They don't drift into safe, they drift into rocks. They drift over waterfalls. You don't randomly end up in a great place by just drifting. My uncle, I had the opportunity and a blessing, like my uncle was really into sailing and as a young kid, he taught me how to sail. And sailing isn't just about hopping in the boat and, and going where you want to go, because he would often say, you need to pay attention, Dale, to the things you cannot see. And the things you cannot see will bring you to places you do not want to be. That was his phrase with me. And the things that I couldn't see was current, and I couldn't see wind, and I couldn't see the change of the wind. Sure, you can see the results of wind in your sail, but all of a sudden when the wind would swirl, you couldn't see it until it was probably too late. So he'd always would say to me, pay attention to the things you cannot see because they're the things that are gonna pull you and push you. And that feels heavy and weighted. And today's passage is really the results of drifting. When you've read this before, you're probably not seeing that, but that's the pathway we're going down. And I think this passage is fundamental because it shows the clash of religion, of faith, and spirituality. I'm going to focus mostly on the first two stories that I'm going to read today, but I'm going to read it all. So this is a little bit more than maybe what you've experienced of reading in church. And I don't care. <laughs> We're in Mark. We're looking at what Jesus said, what he did. We're looking at the ancient documents of the gospel and not just making things up ourselves. We're like, what did he actually say? What did he actually do? So we're gonna look at it. So we're going slow because Mark loads it up. We're gonna look at Mark chapter two, starting with verse 21. I encourage you to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it'll be up on the screen as well. Starting says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And in the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat? And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a, with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan around Tyre and Sidon. Because the crowds, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell him who he was. Jesus went up to a mountain and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him they gave the name Bohonorges, which really means sons of thunder. That'd be an awesome nickname. You are the son of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we join the worship that's been happening in heaven from the beginning, and we declare, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. Jesus, we thank you that you came and did not regard equality with your Father something to be held on to, but you emptied yourself and took on the form of a servant gave your life on a cross. You rose from the dead for us. You gave us the Spirit. So Father and Son and Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. You are here, you are present, and whatever invitation you need, I invite you to come fill this place, fill our hearts, our minds. I pray your Spirit is so palpable today that we feel and experience. We long for that in the truth of your word, in the truth of our lives. In your name, amen. I've seen a lot of people for a lot of years get into really good things for right reasons, and then they drift to points where it's not good anymore. I've seen a lot of young people, younger than me, who want to get into football coaching. So they say, I've been doing that a long time. And they'll say, hey, coach, can I join you? And they really have this heart around, I want to make a difference in young people's lives. I want to help shape and mold young men so that they're better people. But often the stress, I guess, of coaching at times or the pressure from parents or the kinds of things gets to them. And it's really stopped being about 
them being who they want to be with young men, it turns into this transactional thing where really the young men are there for them and their own identity. And it's all about either winning or how they look. It's pretty easy to drift from those places of our original intent into something else. We do it because we can't see the currents and the winds that are ahead of us. We all drift at times. We start with one purpose and we end up somewhere else. There's many kinds of drifts. And the stories that we just read about, at least two of them, are about a drift. First story, let me remind you, the one Sabbath Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some of the grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You see, back then, on their Sabbath day, which would have been on a Saturday, a 24-hour block of time where they would stop. There were about 39 rules of things you could not do on the Sabbath day. To the extent, even if somebody got hurt, like really, really hurt, it was only lawful on the Sabbath day to address their original hurt, but not their really their need. One of the things you are supposed to do before Sabbath is no cooking. Sometimes I remember coming home and saying, Mom, what's for dinner after church? She's like, I'm on Sabbath, I'm not cooking. She liked saying that to us. The idea was to prepare your meal beforehand. So when they saw the disciples kind of grabbing grain as they went along, it jumped out to them. I mean, literally, like, this is something you're not supposed to do. You're breaking the rules. I mean, it jumped out to them as if you had a friend over for dinner and you made spaghetti and pasta and meatballs and you had a fork there available for them, but they chose not to and they just started grabbing it with their hands and eating it. You'd be like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. That's how it jumped out to them. It jumped out to them as laziness, as disrespect, as they're breaking the rules of something that we established. And then he tells a story, mentions David, who was a significant person in the Jewish history. Even though David existed a thousand years before Jesus' time, Jesus was there. Jesus was from the beginning. He wasn't literally there in the form of a human, but he was there and he saw David. He saw David go into a consecrated place and provide and take care of a need that he had and the need that his men had. It actually is a pretty crazy story if you read it in 1 Samuel 21. You see, David was willing to risk the opinion of men, the opinion of people, for the needs of his men. Jesus says this powerful moment. The Sabbath was made for man. The, Sab the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The most sacred of days at this time, Jesus is stepping into it once again. He's like, I'm in charge of this. He is calling out something of significant truth. What was made by God for a very distinct purpose has now become a burden placed upon the people. Really what the Pharisees were saying is we have created and will control the right way to worship God. This is it. Another way of saying this is this. Humanity was created before the Sabbath laws came into existence. People were not created to be the victim and slaves of Sabbath, the rules and the regulations, but the Sabbath was created to make life fuller and better for all of us. 
The Sabbath exists to make our lives better. We'll get into talking about Sabbath in a bit. Then there's the second story. Jesus goes boldly back into the synagogue. That's an interesting thought that Jesus, the very center of worship, it was actually an act of courage for him to go into a place of worship. Why? Because they were not there to worship God. They were there to be controlled by the rules and regulations. This was a man that we point to that he refused to seek safety. <laughs> he was determined to look at a dangerous situation in the face. And this confrontation happened because of a drift. You see, there was a man in their presence with a shriveled hand. Now, in the original words of how the New Testament was written, how Mark wrote was in Greek, this might be a bit much, but here we go. It was the, the word that used to describe him or the phrase was like a passive phrase, passive verb, implying that this man wasn't born this way. This was something that had happened to him. It wasn't an ongoing thing he had, but it was something that had happened to him. Kind of like, um, yeah, that he had become this way. What difference does that make? If you're used to something and you're used to an original way of life, maybe this man could provide for his family. Maybe he was like proud that he could go to work and bring home money for his wife and his kids. And then the accident happens, potentially. I'm riffing a little bit, write this in pencil, that his hand became withered, that there was some kind of, some kind of a, a accident, maybe he got crushed. Have you ever had something happen to you in a certain way where you're like, God, why did you do this to me? So when Jesus looks at this man, he's not just seeing a withered hand, he is saying, I know your hearts. I know how you feel. I know the disappointment you have. I know your disappointment in me. I've been there. I've been disappointed by God. Now, that's just how I felt. I felt disappointed in his plan. But he goes, I got something better. So Jesus knew that as he looked at this man. He saw him. And Jesus continues to show his massive compassion for those whose bodies didn't function like other people did. This story here is so disturbing to me personally. If you just stop and pause and go, what is actually happening here? The fact that we can drift to a place where we're blind to the need of another person. We're not just ignoring it, we're blind, we don't even see it anymore. You see, they knew he had the power to heal this guy, right? It says that. They watched him closely to see if he would heal him. So like, we know you can heal him. We're just seeing if you're going to do it. So they became drifted to a place where they knew what Jesus could do. They were fully aware of it. But they're like, if he does it, we're going to bust him. They were so frustrated that Jesus actually did what he could do. They went and left and wanted to do what to him? Kill him. That is some serious drift. They just looked for something that they disagreed with. You see, the eyes of the critical person miss so many things that are good. We drift 
really quickly in a criticism, don't we? It's hard not to be critical sometimes because we just believe we're right. We just believe the things that we experience are the right things and we become critical and we look for things. I've had critical eyes looking at me. I'm sure I still do. I still deeply care, but I'm more burdened for the critical than I am for the criticism. Because the critical eyes, those who are looking for something that's wrong, you'll always find it. If you look to see what's wrong in your marriage, you'll always find it. If you look to see what's wrong in the world with a Google search, you will find it. I don't think there's a Google search, what's wrong with Dale? Maybe there is. Knock yourselves out. My friend Chris is snaking his head. Apparently, he opened up a Wikipedia page, what's wrong with Dale? There's a lot, and I love it. The eyes of criticism will stop you from seeing that which is good. Come Holy Spirit. Let's go back to what we read at the beginning. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if they would do it on the Sabbath. They were not there to worship. This is a synagogue. They were not there to learn. They were not there to focus. They were there to scrutinize, to criticize, to make sure things were as they wanted. They believed they were better than other people, that other people should conform to them. They were not leading the way and everybody conforming to God. That is the abuse of spiritual power right there. That is the abuse of all power right there. That in any leadership says, you should conform to my ideas versus this is what God says, let's consider that. And I understand it when people say to me, the church has hurt me. Because that's what the church can do sometimes is leverage these things for you to agree with me. My, like I've said before, my goal is not that you agree with me. My goal is that you agree with God. And hopefully I'm just not getting in the way. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. I love that so much. I wonder when that man ever had a chance to stand up in front of everybody. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. One of the things you didn't do on the Sabbath was any physical work. Was Jesus doing any physical work here? Who was doing the physical work here? The man. Right? He had to stand. He had to reach out. Jesus is just like, you stand. All right. Reach out. I'm just doing spiritual work. To Jesus, the most important thing in the world was not the correct performance of a ritual, but the spontaneous answer to the cry of the human need. Jesus doesn't sit up in heaven and go, oh, you didn't say that right. Oh, you didn't do that right. He wants to deeply respond to the cry of the human need, and that's what he sees. For many of us, if not all of us, honestly, right, we don't really get Sabbath. Like, what are you talking about? Where's my relevant thing? We don't get Sabbath. We don't. We don't get what it meant to them. But for a moment, let's just try to relate to where they had drifted, if you will. 
They had gotten to a place of protecting the Sabbath with rules and regulations and traditions because their thought was, if we do this well, the Messiah will come, right? If we do all these things right, then God will respond the way we want him to respond. We get that, don't we? Come on. We all can get there a little bit. Like, if I do these things right, God, you're going to do this for me. You know when you realize if you've been doing that? When something doesn't go right, you go, God, where have you been? Why did this happen to me? That's the counter to if I do everything right, I, nothing bad happens. So when something bad happens and you wonder where God is, it's just revealing your thought process. At least you know what you've been thinking. I say that because that is true of my life a little bit. They had drifted to a place where the Messiah was literally right in front of them. And they were mad at him because if he broke the rules, the Messiah may not come. Do you see the confusion? <laughs> Wait, don't do that because the Messiah is not going to come. I am the Messiah. Okay, let's kill him. You may go, that's not drift. Oh, but it starts with drift. Both issues are about Sabbath. Both issues are about the danger of drifting. Let me talk about both of those. What is Sabbath for us? And then I'll look at the drift. The purpose of Sabbath. And this really deserves and earns its own kind of teaching. So we'll do this at some point. The Sabbath was made for us. God created Sabbath. After six days of creation, he stopped and he delighted and he said, this is good. It was an actually a day for him to take delight in what was made, to actually go, huh, that was a good week of work. Sabbath is a day of peace. It's a day of shalom. It's alignment with God. Sometimes it's just the absence of actually producing something for a day. It's like, I'm not going to create something new. Sabbath is not just a rest because I'm tired. It's not simply a day off. I think if we look at scripture and we say the literal six days of creation and man was made on the sixth day, what was man's first full day? Sabbath. Man started with presence of God. Not, I'm so exhausted, I now have to go to the presence of God. If we think about that for the moment, what would you do on your first day? If you were created as, as an adult human, what would you do on your first day? None of us probably here in Silicon Valley would say, I need a day off. Maybe if you're a millennial. I'm just kidding. That's my joke. Okay, Gen Z. That's my joke. I just need some me time. Sorry. I can go on. But even though I joke, there's something that they get that sometimes I don't get. Like, there's some, need some space. Man's first full day was Sabbath. It's an intentional day of restoration, to be with God, to pause, remember, and restore. There's a man named Pete Scazzaro and is writing around emotional, healthy spirituality. He talks about a day of Sabbath could look like this, to stop to rest, to delight in the things that have been happening and to contemplate. You know, in 2022, the practice of Sabbath probably is considered a super countercultural way of saying this. 
Jesus is Lord and I am not and I can rest for the day and he can run the universe for me. Sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that God will run the universe for you. But it's not valued by people following Jesus or most other people anymore. See, the issues of our society, especially, you know, Silicon Valley, we know, we understand. We don't shut down. We keep going. For many people, they feel like they can't stop. Because if they stop, they're terrified of the thought because what will my people think? They don't want to see what's inside of them if they slow down. One of the hardest things about the spiritual practice of solitude, I've said this, is that all the junk of your life comes up to your head. One of the hardest times of the pandemic when you're at home and you had to be by yourself or isolation is all the stuff comes to your head. And people would say, I think I'm going crazy. And I'm like, no, you've just been able to hold the crazy down. We're all a little crazy. It's all coming up because we stay busy to keep down the things of life and Sabbath gets it out, gives it a name and releases it. And we find our value, when we find our value rooted in our work performance, why would we ever want to step away? The issue is the value in the work performance. Sabbath can be terrifying because doing nothing productive, even for a day, leaves us feeling vulnerable. Here's something I realized on Tuesday, and this was a good time. The only commandment that we brag about breaking is the one about the Sabbath. I've never heard someone brag that I am such a good liar. Man, I'm committing adultery on a regular basis. It's awesome. I murder. I just murder. I can't stop murdering. I've never heard that. I've heard a lot like, man, I am so busy. I got so many things to do. I got so many irons in the fire. I've got this, got this. I'm working these deals. I'm excited. We brag about breaking the Sabbath. A lot of the commandments are out, thou shalt not do something. The Sabbath commandment is remember. Why? Because when we drift, we forget. I invite you just real quick, Exodus. This is where uh, Moses goes to the Mount Sinai, and God's giving him the commandments. And it's really, here's the things to shape a holy people. Go ahead and pull up the slide for it, because I just want us to read this together out loud. Will you join me in just this one part? Join with me. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Work well, Sabbath well, drifting. It usually starts with really good intentions, right? But it turns into something else. I don't mean to throw any shade, but if shade is received, process it. We subscribe to Disney Plus because we think, hey, this would be great for family night. But he drift into Disney Plus being the babysitter for our kids. We get a dating app. We sign up. 
because we want to meet a great Christian person. That's great. But suddenly we drift, and it's an endless stream of casual relationships and occasional sexual encounters. We start making money, we get a job. We love the fact that we can provide for ourselves and for our family, and we love the fact that we can be generous. But all of a sudden, we start getting more of that money, and our generosity kind of goes into questioning the group we're giving it to, and then we drift into building our own kingdom for our own comfort and our own control, and then whatever's left over, maybe. During the pandemic, the church turned it into an online during the pandemic for the purpose of nourishing the saints for a season because we didn't know what else to do. We tried really hard, but for many, it drifted into becoming something else now, to be really honest. You see, one of the greatest threats in following Jesus is that for our first love drifts into something else. And when we drift, we don't stop and ask, why am I doing this? Because that's the question that stops the drift. What, 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 what's going on? What current has changed? What wind is now swirling? I need to make an adjustment. You see, when you're sailing your boat, or your, I never sailed the ship, but the boat, the small thing that I'm in, when it's starting to spin in circles and the, and the sails is flopping around, it might be time to adjust. Because when life gets hard, there's a lure to start to practice our spirituality just to get what we want to control. And when we do this in order to think that God will respond or behave in a certain way, then our spirituality creeps into being a little self-righteous. We start thinking, I'm better than you because of certain things. I'm better than you because my diet is better than your diet. I'm better than you because my life decisions obviously are better than your life decisions. And I am better than you than because of my enlightened thought process makes me better than you. The solution, if you find yourself here, to remember that the goal of every spiritual practice whether it's attending church, reading Bible, whatever it is, the goal of every single one of those is that you become a more loving person. That's what it is. It should always make us a more loving person, not a I'm better than you kind of person. Simply put, the question we need to ask ourselves, am I becoming a more loving person? You see, the Sabbath is justice. Okay, hold on. If you haven't paid attention yet, here we go. The Sabbath is God's justice for all people. It leads us to embrace all people. Jesus' issue with them controlling the Sabbath is that they're trying to control people. And Jesus is no, as God says, Sabbath is justice. Let me read it to you. On it, you're still in Exodus chapter 20, talking about the Sabbath. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your manservant, 
or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the Sabbath. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, everybody gets a break on the day that God created Sabbath. He's not saying those who can afford it, those who are more spirit, whatever. He's saying you, the people who work for you, the people you don't even know. God's justice says this is the day that everybody is on the same plane together. God's justice and mercy is about all people. So let me ask you a few questions. Where's the drift in your life? Maybe you're asking something really specific. We're going to zero in. Why should I? Or why do I go to church? Ah, I've got some other things to do. Why should I pray? Or why do I even pray? How do you pray? Why should I keep a Sabbath? What is this thing you're talking about? Why should I practice the generosity of Jesus? How do I really know what they're going to do with my money? When things become mundane, lose purpose or passion, we have to go back to the beginning, right? Whatever it is, Jesus did this a lot. When Jesus went up and found a little kid, he goes, man, he picked him up. What do you say? Be like this little kid. Be like this child. Don't be so full of yourself. All the things you think. Be like this kid. Choose to trust again as a child trusts. Pursue new adventures like a child pursues. Enjoy what you're doing like a child. One of my favorite things, I come out of staff meeting and I see little kids from our, our preschool playing on this water structure and they're sliding and they're laughing. And I'm like, that's the joy of a child. You know how many times I wanted to jump in and join in and I just do. I'm gonna wear my swim trunks to staff meeting. <laughs> Express the joy of the Christian life, just let it out. That's why like Sean, I love it brother. More, I say more. I say, not everybody yelling at me at the same time, but I think there's something in it, right? It's hard to keep it in, Sean, isn't it, sometimes? I asked the Spirit to come, so is it about the topic, Sean, or... Because I've been to my wife's kindergarten class and this is the most dangerous thing in the world. She, I read a book and my wife's like, don't ask the kids if there's any questions. One time, my uncle... Who, let's take a vote. Who wants to hear Sean's question? There's a lot of people. All right, Sean. Dear Lord, help us in this moment. Amen. Go. Okay, so on the law... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was based off of God saying, hey, we want man to kneel down willingly mm -hmm. with his heart and sincerity mm -hmm. and his soul mm -hmm. at the cross. Amen. Right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Where now he's saying the same thing, except now he's on earth. Yeah. He's saying the same thing he said in heaven. He holds him to a stand, Lucifer to a standard in heaven, and Lucifer's like, I want to be equal with you, God. He's like, you cannot. Yep, yep. Why should we allow him to put his heart at the drop when we can make him? Well, make him, allow him, choose him to. That sounds like a longer question. Yeah, it's the same purpose, same value, same thing. All right, you guys all glad that that happened just now? Yes. Amen. What's going on? And the only reason why I can ask this is because of the love that this guy has given us. Love you, brother. I just didn't know how long we were going there. I do. Thank you. Whew. There's something there, though, right? Come like a child. Here's some practical help if I can zero in as we close. Ish. If prayer feels mundane for you, like when I say mundane, it's something like you don't even think about it. I'd go back to even asking yourself, what is prayer? Here's the simplest thing I can tell you. It's being present with the God that's present with you. And even if you sit with a moment and go, God, I want to be present with you because you're present with me. You're, now, you're praying. You're talking. What do you want to say to him? What's he saying to you? Start at the beginning. Be present with the God who's present with you. Sometimes just pray out loud, even by yourself. Just pray out loud. God, I just thank you for this and that. I just thank you for whatever. Or this is what I have to say. Sometimes journal it. Just write out a prayer. I do that a lot. It helps me. Simplify it. Return to what being present with God who is present with you is all about. If reading scripture feels mundane, like I'm not really in, remind yourself of the very simplicity. What is it? God's telling you his story. It is the story of God. It's not meant for this to be like a little tidbit of power for the day. It's like, what am I hearing? What am I seeing as a story of God? God's telling you a story. You're sitting down and having breakfast with God. And he's like, here's a little bit about myself today. That's what reading scripture really is. How people interacted with him. How people responded to him. What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus doing? Get back to the beginning of what scripture even is. If church ever feels mundane. Many say that why you come to church is for community and for fellowship. And that's partly true. Hopefully we enjoy those pieces. But that can be created in so many other places. Right? And I'm not saying it shouldn't happen here. I just think when, that, when that's the purpose of church is to connect with other people. And then you start connecting with other people in other places. You're like, why do, why do I even need to go to church? I got this thing. And I'm like, I, if that's what church is to you, yeah. But why do we gather? We gather to worship God. That's what church is. We gather to worship God. Church is not to be conformed to us, but for us to be conformed to God. 
That's what it has to be. When we drift, we forget. And when we forget, we start to drift quickly. Revelation chapter 2. The beginning of Revelation, Jesus is writing these letters to different churches, telling them what's good and where they've drifted. Revelation chapter 2, he writes to the church of Ephesus, real quick, I know. When I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and they've not grown weary. Man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I will remove the light that you have to the community if you don't remember the first love. If you don't go back to the beginning. God, may that never be true of us. That he's taken our light from us. Jesus declares, and then he gives us a little sermon, three points. Remember, repent, redo. Remember, repent, redo. That should be a rhythm of our lives. I need to remember. Whew, that was not a good thing. I need to repent. I need to redo. You've forsaken the love you had at first. What have you forsaken, my friends? Jesus is imploring them, go back to the beginning. You can have, I mean, listen to those accolades. I'm just going to rest on this for a second, then we'll close. The accolades he gave them. You have stood up to the evil. You have said what was wrong. You were that voice of strength for the society of like, this is what God, you have persevered. You have done all these things. You have called people out who were wrong. But. What's the thing that he is saying? If you don't do this, I am pulling your light away. <laughs> this breaks my heart. God is like, I applaud you for all of the strength of your passions and convictions, but convictions without wisdom and discernment? We're playing darts blindfolded. What love does is take it off and gives you light. We have to remember what we first were about. I'm not talking first were about when we launched this church. I'm talking about first were about when we came to Christ. And we drift. Final thing. Friends, it's not up to me alone to keep the lampstand for Calvary. It's up to us. May we be a place of love. God removing the light and influence is not just like, ah, oh, bad church. It's like, I don't want people going there. <laughs> Why would I want people going there? You're just, mate, I'm not saying this is what he's saying, but if you're just mean and angry, like you're critical, you're criticizing, I want people to go there because I want them to see me. And what am I? I'm love. Sure, I don't do that anymore, but I am love. Remember. We're going to go in a time that we call ministry time. 
and we sit and listen to God for a moment, there'll be some response time. If you've been with us, you know what we're doing. If you're brand new, just, we just take a moment and pause and close your eyes. <sighs> Breathe a little bit. Sometimes it's helpful to put our hands open up to God. What is he saying to you right now? Be present with the God that's present with you. Father, we have, our intention is to worship you today. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart have, may have been pleasing to you. Not because of our effort, but because of our declaration to you. Father, help us, I pray, for my friends and my family, this church body, that our lamp will never be taken away because of the light that we show to people through our love that your son gave us. Father, I pray in the places that we may have drifted that we let go and start afresh with you. So as we go out from here, may the power of your spirit, Holy Spirit, may fill us, guide us, direct us. May we be bold and compassionate. May we be strong and enduring. May our love be the result of all the things that we do. We love you, Father, in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Go well with the Lord. Amen.